Hey everyone, this is your beloved host Bree coming in with a little preamble. No, I'm not offering a pre-apology for the audio quality. We're all good there, nor am I here to offer a content warning of any kind. That's not necessary uh, or any aggressive self-promotion. Although, hey, while we're at it, give me five stars on iTunes or go to hell. Um, no, I'm here just uh, to establish that because this is a podcast about the Mighty Ducks, uh, we talk a lot about hockey, and I can't emphasize enough that we recorded this after the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, so uh, we didn't know how it turned out. Uh, we recorded it before the expansion draft, before uh, free agent frenzy, the entry draft, all that. Um you know, uh, I don't mind if you uh, get sassy with a little then what happened, you know, that's, uh, that's part of the fun. Um, however, just please refrain from calling us stupid or insulting our intelligence. Uh, that's how podcasts work. Sometimes you record them ahead of time. So uh, we try to, you know, we try to have a sense of humor about it. But uh, I know sometimes when women talk about sports, people can get a little angry. So enjoy the show. Enjoy the Mighty Ducks feels. Tell us what you think and give us five stars or go to hell. Good looking skater. Very good looking. What do you think, Keith? Shut up, baby. Man. There's one minor problem. Ah! Has a little trouble stopping. I'd say so. Come on. I almost had it that time. Welcome to Peak Show, where we're doing great things with baboon ligaments. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and I set out to explore when the media and creators you love peaked. Now, here, to me, here with me today is noted podcaster, hockey fan, and strudelhead, Kelsey Goldman. Now, if Kelsey's name sounds familiar, it's because very recently I had her podcast co-host, Jason Edwards, on the show with me. But you know what's better than hosting one podcast? Hosting two podcasts. Kelsey is the host of two very cool podcasts, so Kelsey... Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us all about your work? Uh, I'm Kelsey. Uh, as Bree said, I'm a noted podcaster to about 44 people. <laughs> and then um, uh, I'm also a writer and a um, museum educator. That's my day job um, and uh, art historian. So uh, don't talk about that a lot on the internet, but that is that is what my professional expertise is in and a hockey fan, which I think is part of why I am here today. <laughs> it is part of why you're here today. However, I would say as an art historian, I consider um, the Mighty Ducks to be an art and a big part of my history. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the other thing, uh, because among your on your Twitter bio, among the interests you list, uh, bisexuality being an interest. And for me, this was a real closet key, this movie. We're talking, of course, about the Mighty Ducks, as well as its sequels D2 and D3 and the very recent Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Uh, we're not going to be touching the weird-ass cartoon um, because I'm too pretty to watch it. <laughs> I've never actually watched the cartoon, so same. Well, Kelsey, I'm, I want to get into kind of your history with uh, not just the Mighty Ducks, but with hockey, because I saw your notes. It was super duper interesting. But also, before we get into that, we got to know, when did you peak? Okay, so I thought a lot about this. And like the series answer is that I am currently peaking. But I think like, stereotypically, I peaked in college. 
That's like when I was, you know, what I considered for a long time my best looking. I was like excelling the most academically. I was also still playing a sport. Like I felt good in college. College was a great time for me. I mean, I know you pretty well now for internet friends. I would say you are also peaking, but um, I, I think... The most popular thing that people have been saying lately is, for some reason, a lot of people peaked in 2016. Uh, a lot of people have copped out and said they peaked on their wedding day. Uh, but then, like friend of the show and friend of us, Liz, uh, you are one of the peaked in college types. Liz very much uh, uh, was big on she peaked in college, although she did say it was mainly alcohol consumption that she peaked at. Well, that is also true of myself. I um. I did consume a lot more alcohol in college, probably the, the highest consumption of alcohol in my um in my short life. Uh, I didn't drink until college, which is interesting. And I drank the most I've ever drunk in college. <laughs> so um yeah, I think I think I probably peaked in college maybe the first year post college when I first moved to New York, uh, when I was doing like a lot of various different stereotypical twenty two year old in New York things. I don't know what those are, but they sound really sexy. Yeah, no, I, I think I thought they were really sexy and um, I probably regret a lot of them. But, uh, you know, I no. think, I think um, you know, according to my therapist, I feel like I'm like really in a good place right now and things are only going up and I'm not married, so I couldn't have peaked in my wedding day. Um, I am available. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe I would yeah. say for you to be doing, for you to be doing mentally well after what we've just gone through as hockey fans mm. is um, a big accomplishment. Um, although, I mean, because this is this is getting released in August, this episode, That's so like the wounds are still fresh. But I'm gonna say this should be your litmus test. If this episode comes out and you're still angry about Leafs and you're still uh, posting about the Leafs round one loss, get get a better hobby. I mean, yeah. we are now one one week post Leafs round one loss, and I am not mad about it anymore. I've yeah. moved on. It's summer. I'm vaccinated. I'm living my best life. Oh, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. I'm American. Uh, no, it'll, I, I, I'm, I'm one dose in. It'll happen soon. Uh, like, I, I don't golf, but uh, I'll say, like Mitch, I'm mentally golfing right now. Like, I'm just kind of cruising right now. So, uh, yeah, we're on the topic of hockey. And so I really would love for you to tell your your hockey story of how you came to be a hockey fan. Because unlike me, you didn't grow up surrounded by hockey. Yeah, I think uh, how I became to be a hockey fan is um, kind of weird. I uh, I grew up in a very um, sports-heavy, sports consumption-heavy household. Um, I'm from... Kentucky originally uh, in the U.S. because I know you probably have a lot of Canadian listeners, <laughs> um, and uh, Kentucky and Louisville, the city I grew up in, is a, a place that's very focused on college sports. So there's a huge um, in-state rivalry between two um, two universities. My dad cheered for one university, my mom cheered for the other. It was very uh, uh, fraught. Uh, my mom got to me early enough that I did uh, end up cheering for her team and was very invested and was very into sports for my whole life, mostly basketball and football. Um, so that's kind of like, I've always been like a, around sports and competition and stuff, but hockey just wasn't a thing in Kentucky. It's still not a thing in Kentucky. We're, we're just uh, embracing soccer. So that's fun. <laughs> um, but uh, I played field hockey my entire life uh, from the time I was eight and all the way through college. Um, it was, I went to a, a small private school and it was like the sport it was you know like my let's say my high school were like the Leafs of um 
Kentucky State field hockey in that they had a lot of success when there were like very few schools that played and they had a bunch of championships. And by the time I got there, they hadn't won in a really long time, but like everyone still did it. <laughs> um, and that was what everyone played. Um, so I played, I played field hockey for a lot of my life and I played lacrosse uh, starting in middle school as well. So I'd always been an athlete. And in uh, 2018, I uh, was watching the winter Olympics as I usually do. And that, that was kind of my only exposure to hockey um, for a long time was the Olympics. Um, and this was like a year before my um, 30th birthday. And I was watching figure skating and hockey and I love figure skating. That is actually part of the reason I got into hockey. For my 30th birthday, I decided I was going to um, take a class to learn a skill just for me, because I'd never done that before. I was, you know, doing some uh, mental health work and being like, you know, I'm an adult. I can just learn a skill because I have a job. I have money. I can take a class. Um, so I, on the back of the 2018 Olympics, I decided to um, take skating lessons to learn to skate. Um, and the other sort of like 30 year resolution I had for myself was to get into a professional sport because I, I've always loved sports, but I've just like sort of grown distant from um, college sports because I'm not in that environment anymore. And um, it's just, you know, I, I feel like I saw everyone like sort of, you know, embracing the NBA and, and the NFL and the NHL. And I was like, I want to do that. I'm, I'm a sports person. I want to do that. Um, so I decided to, and once after I took skating for like a year, I was like, I'm going to get into hockey because how, how, how? How do you skate and handle the puck? Because, like, I played field hockey, right? But you're wearing, like, shoes and you're on grass. <laughs> you're not wearing knife shoes. You're not wearing knife shoes. And so learning to skate really, like, sort of put into perspective for me, like, how difficult hockey was as a sport. And it also just had a lot of things that appealed to me in that it's low scoring for a sport, which I like. Um, it's very fast paced. Um, it involves, like, a ton of skill. Um, and it was also, it had no preconceived notions in my like personal life where like, uh, football and basketball and even soccer, because, uh, Louisville like has two teams now and, and I'm very invested in them as well. Um, didn't. And it was also a sport that my mom had never watched. Um, my mom is like the sort of the big athletic driving force behind my, my life, both like for my, my being in sports and my watching sports. Um, and I was like, you know what? I just want to do something that I can like. I feel like I have more knowledge than her about. <laughs> um, and so, and I had a couple of friends who had gotten into hockey between college and, and now. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure I would have become this invested if it weren't for the pandemic, because, uh, you know, I was, I started following the Leafs in um, like October-ish of, of 2018, but really intensely, like that was just like, I'd watch a game every now and then check the scores. Um, but most deeply uh, the 2019-2020 season. So that was when I was like watching all the games and, you know, watching Babcock get fired, watching Keith come in, watching the whole league get shut down. Um, and so like that was when I was like peak invested already and then everything stopped and all of a sudden there was a lot of people online looking for a connection and I had this, uh, this like entree into all these people who could teach me things about the sport that I wanted to learn. Um, and I think, you know, had I not, there not been the pandemic, I don't know if I would have like 
gotten here, but I'm really happy that I did. I'm happy you did too. Yeah. So like long, lo- very long story, not short, sorry. <laughs> um, I basically made a decision to get into a sport <laughs> and I decided on hockey. Um, I chose the Leafs, which is how I know Brie, <laughs> um, for uh, mostly color-based reasons. Um, <laughs> in that, like, I have a history of cheering for blue teams, and I think there are there are blue teams and there are red teams in professional sports generally. Those are the dividing factors. Um, there are some other colors mixed in there, but it's mostly versions of blue and red. And that was that rivalry, that in-state rivalry that I grew up with was blue and red, and I always cheered for the blue team. What What is green even? Minnesota Wild, what the fuck? Dallas Stars. What the fuck? <laughs> um, there's no purple teams in the NHL um, anymore because the Kings are just black now. Um, and I want to petition to move the, all the, the professional sports teams in the town I grew up in are purple. And I'm like, okay. Get me a team in Louisville, and they can be purple. <laughs> we need pur- we need more See, purple. See, you would enjoy this. So I, um, I, unlike you, I well, I wasn't brought up in a quote unquote sports house, but I was brought up in a hockey fandom house, and that was that. Actually, both my parents were very athletic. My mom, especially, she was a competitive baseball player uh, for most of her youth. Uh, she and my dad were into curling. My dad was in the army, so he was really fit when I was young. Not so much anymore. Sorry, dad, love you. Um, but um. With um, with my family, hockey was always like a really passive thing. And I think my parents both very much enjoyed hockey. My dad is a huge Habs fan, so he's having a great time. He said the other day he wants to see a Habs Bruins series. And I'm just like, good luck with that, Mark. Um, <laughs> oh, you'll, Mark. you'll enjoy that. Um, but um, But they never pushed it on us. And I was always really, really grateful for that. Like my parents never pushed their interests on us. Um, but my dad being francophone he was the habs fan and so my mom initially started cheering for the leafs honestly because she wanted to troll my dad she's also actually a bit of a bruins fan but that's because she grew up in the era of bobby orr um but um i grew up in a town that was a hockey town every boy in my class played hockey even my very unathletic brother played for a year uh just house league um and and Frankly, I grew up in a town that as small as it was, like even your house league was super competitive, uh, let alone your rep. So um, and, and I moved around a lot. But the region of Northeast Ontario is basically like I, I always say Ontario is the Midwest of Canada and like Northeastern Ontario is for sure, like the rural Minnesota, um, <laughs> because it's it hockey. Hockey is life there. And also like the very strange, particular regional accents. Um, <laughs> and um so I was more into collegiate hockey and like my schools, all three of, I went to three different high schools cause I moved so much, but all three of my schools had really, really good hockey teams and watching a hockey game, a school hockey game at the arena on uh, Friday or Saturday night was the cheap way to have fun. Um, and I like, I worked at the mall, I worked around the corner from the arena. So I would just like go after working and it was so much fun. Um, and I didn't get, Oh, my my hometown also does have an OHL team now. It did not back in the day, but um, so I just think it's cool. They have the battalion now. Um, so I was always really, really into supporting local hockey and even like the Sudbury Wolves was not too far. And then I went to a university that did have um, very amazing men and women's hockey teams. My roommate in first year was a varsity women's hockey player and um, a very good one as well. We were purple, purple and gold, go Hawks go. Um, <laughs> and um, it was it was just so amazing to watch. I started actually dating a big Leafs fan 
uh, when I was partway through university. And that was when I had to really like, I, I kind of faked a lot of hockey knowledge because that's the thing. Like you got to fake I it. So you make how it. hockey, <laughs> I knew how gameplay on the ice worked. I didn't know things like I didn't understand the draft. I didn't understand how trades, I still kind of don't understand. Everyone's got their little trade magic charts out now. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is why Kyle, Kyle Dubas uh yeah don't know how you do what you do but, but even um, like even people's trade charts are like it they're making shit up they don't know what they're doing either yes <laughs> absolutely it's just that that classic dog in the uh dog in the cockpit mean that i have no idea what i'm doing uh but yeah so for me though um the mighty ducks i mean uh, the first one came out when I was three years old and my brother was six. So we were kind of the perfect to be like, yay, fun kids movie. Now, I actually only really consciously remember watching the second one as a kid. I know that we owned the first and so I'm sure I watched it, but it was the second one that really stuck out to me. And then um, I avoided the third. I actually did because I was old enough to kind of think like, this isn't going to be good. Um, and I did not watch the third until I was actually in high school and I was really drunk one night with my friend Sean and we were just like, do you want to watch the third Mighty Ducks movie? <laughs> because that's what you do. Um, and I hated it. I still hate it. But uh, the memories I have of the original series are so, so positive and so warm. Like I, when I at 22 finally came out as bisexual, God, it's been 10 years. My God, 22 year old Brie, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> um, but I, I jokingly, but really truly credit D2 uh, because I remember... I would, that was one of my comfort movies. So I'd rewatch it over and over and being six years old or so and looking at the Bash Brothers and thinking, they're so cute. And then looking at Julie the Cat Gaffney and being like, she's really cute too. See, I'm <laughs> I'm definitely a Connie Moreau bisexual as far as like between the two of them. <laughs> yeah, she's, you know, Connie Moreau was supposed to be Juliette Lewis. And I think Juliette Lewis went on to have a fine career anyway. But yeah. um, I... Yeah, I I loved the character of Connie in the first one, too, because she was kind of like the teacher's pet a little bit, but not in an obnoxious way. Um, and uh, but yeah, I I mean, and, and also in all seriousness, uh, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully were a big part of that, too. But um, yeah, so for me, it wasn't even that the Mighty Ducks got me into hockey. Like I always kind of passively enjoyed hockey. But I think the Mighty Ducks was like, even when I got older and it wasn't cool to like Disney movies, it was still the one Disney movie that I could watch and not feel embarrassed of. Um, so, yeah, it has it has big fuzzy feelings in my heart. Of course, we're, you know, we're talking about when the peak of it was. So that means you can't talk about the peaks without talking about the valleys, can you? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think like for me too, just like how I was saying, like Mighty Ducks was like one of my first exposures to hockey as a sport. Like, so... Mm -hmm uh to ice hockey as a sport like I said I'd played field hockey forever but um uh I don't think I really consciously saw my ducks until I was probably about six or seven but 
um because I'm I'm the same age as you and so it came the first one came out when I was like three um but yeah it was it was like actually my first exposure to the sport and so for a long time like that was my well that's what hockey is (laughs) uh it was my first exposure to Minnesota I know that but uh so uh I guess we'll get into a little bit of the history um since we're 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 deep in our feelings already, and I yeah. love that for us. <laughs> so the story was conceived in the early 90s. Uh, Steve Brill created the concept. He was originally going to focus on an ex-NHL player seeking revenge on a former coach. And the lead character of Bombay was supposed to be a way bigger dick and have a way bigger drinking problem. Uh, so when the concept was sold to Disney, it became a much more friendly, family-friendly concept. Bombay was dialed back a little bit. Uh, however, his drinking problems are why his name is Gordon Bombay. He is, he is gin incarnate. Um, but uh, he was changed to a lawyer um, and it was also the popularity of kids sport movies like Bad News Bears that uh, turned it into what it was Um, now I do know that Steve Brill did uh, I think unsuccessfully in the mid 90s sue Disney for the IP rights to to the franchise Uh, obviously he did not win because it's still a Disney property and they seem to be on good terms now considering Brill came back to develop the recent series. Um, the original picks for Bombay included Bill Murray, uh, Chevy Chase, and uh, Big Brother himself, Charlie Sheen, and also Steve Brill wanted to play uh, wanted to play Bombay, but like Bill Murray, he was considered a little too old. Uh, Charlie Sheen actually was offered the role and turned it down and then gave it to uh, his wee brother. I'm kind of glad they gave it to the better brother. Um, most of the kids in the movie had never played hockey before, uh, so you could say that their improvement throughout the series was definitely method acting, and the movie served as a big launch pad for the careers of actors such as Dawson's Creek's own, or Urban Legends' own, Joshua Jackson, uh, <laughs> the Butterfly Effect's own, Eldon Hansen, and, and, you know, Marvel guy, uh, Keenan Thompson, and, um, noted completely uncontroversial figure Jesse Smollett, uh, <laughs> The movie was so financially successful, a sequel was greenlit um, fairly quickly, but um, more notable than the sequel was that the NHL expansion team, uh, it uh, was owned by Disney, and uh, it formed the next year, and so it called itself the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Of course, now they are just known as the Ducks, but uh, you have to credit them with giving us the world's best goalie if it were still 2018. Uh, I mean, at least the world's hottest thing. <laughs> oh my god. He's so physically perfect. Uh, He's honestly Frederick Anderson. He is... I try not to openly objectify anyone, and then it all goes out the window with Frederick Anderson, because I'm just like, he has a monster hog. I know it. It's the size of my leg. Like, um, Freddie is one of those men that I, like, constantly, like, no, I'm bisexual. Not, not gay. I'm mm-hmm. bisexual. That is a man. <laughs> for him, for me, it's him and Pierre-Luc Dubois, and I guess my husband. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny, though, because we're getting to an age where, um, like, the vast majority of the guys like on the teams we like, you know, like the Leafs and the Canucks, they are guys who grew up watching the Mighty Ducks series. And then you have a guy like Spetsa or Thornton who would have grown up being one of the kids. Like, you know, he would have been old enough to be one of the kids in the series. Um, So Disney Plus uh, did uh, through collaboration with Steve Brill. So like I said, obviously the blood's not that bad. They developed the sequel series Game Changers in 2020. It was shot and produced all throughout the COVID pandemic and released in 2021. 
It recently concluded what I think was a great first season and has indeed been renewed for a second. So uh, that's the brief, that's the long and short of The Mighty Duck. So now we're just going to get, we're going to get more in our feelings, you guys. I'm so So, excited. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to start with obviously the good stuff and then we're going to get into the straight up absurd and, uh, you know. The way we like to do this, honestly, it's just kind of a free-for-all. We just kind of jump around and mess around and say whatever the hell's on our mind. It basically is kind of like watching a game of the Mighty Ducks, how anything goes and uh, the refs are never there when you need them. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. but a strength I think the film really has, um, even with Bombay basically leaving in the first five minutes of the third movie, is that Steve, and, Steve Brill stayed involved from the start. He wrote it. He wrote every single movie. The tone is consistent, and that's why I think it was also magical that he was still involved in Game Changers. Um, I, and, I, like, on one hand, Game Changers is somewhat different from the trilogy, and so it's hard to judge them as all the same thing, but they really did um, make it a pretty continuous story. Um, some of the interesting things about the Game Changers series is that I find it's somewhat of a natural conclusion or like um hanging a lampshade on the series of films because the conceit of the series of the movie series is that they're a bunch of scrappy young upstarts who like can't play hockey to save their lives but because it's a kids movie series they can't lose and throughout the throughout the film series like the ducks always win and i do wish because it was aimed at kids i actually think it would have been a great idea if i could retcon history to go back and have the conclusion of one of the at least one of the movies be that the ducks do not win um i think uh one movie that does that and subverts that really well is bring it on oh. which i all oh. enjoyed at i mean a slightly older age but yeah like the, the end of bring it on is fantastic because like it, even though it's predictable like they don't win and i would have loved to see at least one of the movies end in them yeah i will not winning spare you my thoughts and bring it on here because i have recorded a whole podcast about bring it on so <laughs> <laughs> um uh and possibly there will be another one in the future put it put a pin in that <laughs> But yeah, like that that's the thing. Uh, the ducks um are so lovable in the first two. And but in the third, it becomes like all that kind of comes to bite them in the ass, like the fact that they always win and they're they're so babyishly babyishly attached to the ducks name. And so I think the series does remedy a lot of that, although I mean, I do wish in the end that it didn't spoiler alert for Mighty Ducks Game Changers that it didn't end in them taking the name back, but like the series is called The Mighty Ducks. What else do you expect? Um, overall, I feel like it was a good way to not only bring back the magic of the first movie, but also sort of yeah remedy the damage that the third movie did. Because to be honest, the third movie left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I agree with a lot of what you said. I think um, I wasn't expecting to like the series as much as I did. Um, I think it does a really good job sort of like... Um, because I think you're right. I think that the frustrating thing about the third movie to me is that tonally it feels, it fe- like tonally it's right, but the characters are like very, you know, in their puberty, like we're going through some shit stage. <laughs> like Charlie in the third one, like makes me so angry. And like, I get the, the whole thing is he- like, he yeah. has to learn, but like, it doesn't feel like him to me. Like it doesn't feel like the kid who gave up his spot on the team so Russ could play in the second movie and I'm like yeah that doesn't follow to me and I and I don't think they have to overcome enough well like I what the thing I really enjoy about these movies is that they do sort of like shine a light on things in hockey culture that are really shitty (laughs) um 
So like in the third movie, it's that the their school is um you know the warriors and they have like a Native American uh, logo and and so like the whole that thing plot ends- is so ahead of its time. It really is. I'm like it's 1996. Like <laughs> like that that whole part of it is is great. Um and so like I like that the sort of they win the name thing at the end, but I do feel like they should have lost <laughs> the game. <Yes. laughs> um and then you know. And even, you know, in the in the in the first one, like it's it's a basically about barriers to entry of of like youth hockey. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's about how these kids who, you know, live in if you look at there's like a map in Hans's shop of the districts, like they live in the middle. They live in like the the most like inner city <laughs> part of the mm-hmm. of the youth hockey districts. And so and they, you know, they can't afford equipment or ice time or anything. And, you know, <laughs> Mr. Banks is gerrymandering like the <laughs> the youth hockey district to be have, on a good team. <laughs> like I have scribbled in my mobile phone notes, uh, Mr. Banks, Stuart Hyman question mark. <laughs> because I'm just like, this is some Zach Hyman's dad shit. I mean, I don't know much about Zach Hyman's dad, but I did I had Mr. Banks uh, Paul Marner uh question mark <laughs> yes, that too. in mind. So we'll get to that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just like it it really shines a light on like the things in hockey culture that are, that like are, are bad and shitty. Like, and even in the second movie when like Gordon is like, no, Adam, you cannot play through your injury. You'll just hurt yourself more and you'll fuck up your future. Like there are so many good things that are like in these movies that are saying, you know, this is bad and we need to fix this. But at the same time, I do. What I love about the series is that it, the focus comes off winning somewhat like mm-hmm. and it it does show the logical conclusion of this these scrappy underdog kids who built this team and got all this funding and like you know they're a dynasty now and they don't have the same spirit and the same you know it's not the same thing anymore and and because that would ha- that's what happens when everything ends in you winning like the yeah. ducks have become you you only stay an underdog for so long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i i love game changers so much and i actually just did a quick kind of really quick rewatch through and i actually even though i liked it from the beginning i think after about the second or third episode it really grows on you like i think the episode with the mom's challenge is when everything comes in because that's the first time you get to really see the kids outside of the hockey situation also what i like about game changers again a big remedy from the third because in the third there is barely any hockey and in Game Changers, um, while the first one does not have a game, uh, it does have a practice. And so only one of the 10 episodes does not feature a game of hockey um, or a practice. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think one one thing I was just reading today was apparently the kids wrote their wrote a lot of their own dialogue, like the young actors. And, and I think that is, although I never had an issue with the um, with the dialogue written for the young actors in the movies. I think that like... Disney is not always great at writing kids, but I find 21st century Disney does tend to be because the kids are way too clever. They're way too smart and cynical and snappy and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I really I love the kids for the most part. um, I think they were all incredibly well developed. I think all of us really love Logan. Um, The best one. (laughs) He is. And Uh like, I I also really love that. Unlike because I mean, aside from. I should have known they were going to bring back the flying V. The flying V 
For those of you who don't follow Hockey Lot, the Flying V is impractical and doesn't actually just work in a real-world situation, much like I'm sure all of us thought we could do a knuckle puck when we were young, and the knuckle puck physically doesn't work. But, um, but yeah, the I Flying V like would the, work in like, yeah. in like, you know, five to six-year-olds playing hockey, yes. maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, but but I still think that what was nice about the series was we got to see actual practical hockey work. I mean, like you you were even so excited that Logan learned the la- lacrosse goal and a lacrosse goal is a thing. Yeah. Now it's uh, he learns it as a pancake flip. But uh, <laughs> no, I just love for, for those of you who do not follow the Leafs closely, because I actually apparently do have a weird amount of American listeners. So uh, dear sweet Logan with his nice head of lettuce, um, he looks just like draftier William Nylander. Uh, now, I mean, what is Willie now even? When does his indie rock album come out? But um, he's Willie the Viking strange man, uh, but he really does look like a young William Nylander, so it's just perfect that he was introduced wearing a Leafs jersey, um, and uh, he's this big old sweetheart and he's who weird. likes to make pancakes for people. He is weird. He likes cats. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I I can't say enough good things about Game Changers, except that I will note that um, they do kind of retcon a few things, but it's not really a big deal. They just change a few of the dates um, in, like, Bombay, they claim, became the coach of the Ducks in 1998. They claim Bombay was born in 1963. And going by that math, Bombay is pushing 60 in the series. And so I'm like, I don't know how old Lauren Graham is supposed to be. And like, far be it for me to talk about age gap romance. (laughs) Well, that's that's... the thing, right? That's the thing that bothers me, right? Is because like in D1, in the first one, we have Charlie and his mom who like, I think it's supposed to be implied that she had him very young and like she's kind of young. Mm -hmm. So she's like vaguely close to Gordon's age and he's like 12 or um, Charlie's like 12. Um, Yeah. But then it's like Lauren Graham is also close to Gordon's age and her kid's well, also she 12. Had, and she she had her kid when she, she was, was 42 in I did law school. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the thing for me that, that bothers me a little bit is that like, while, while I love that Gordon Bombay is in this, I it, like Lauren Graham is like 54, 55. Mm-hmm. Emilio Estevez is 57. Like, I think he was actually, you know, like, he is pushing so 16. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think Lauren Graham is playing younger, and which like good for her, you know, that doesn't happen in Hollywood a lot. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, but I'm just like, she had him kind of old. <laughs> um, but she claimed that she had her kid when she was in law school. Yeah. And she had to drop out of law school. So, so I think Yeah, all I have to say is in general, Bombay, stop fucking your kids' parents. Yeah, I like, think for me, I think the the thing that bothers me the most is that the kids would all be sort of the right age to have like 12 year olds. (laughs) And uh, I mean, far be it from me to, you know, tell people to do things, but we, we could have had Joshua Jackson. I I actually do hope we see Joshua Jackson at some point in this. I think it's very, very likely because one of the only reasons why when they had the ducks reunion episode that we saw the people that we did was because, um, with uh, COVID quarantine laws, because it was shot in Vancouver. And so um, the people, they tried to get everyone back and pretty much everyone expressed an interest in coming back. Um, but they were 
um, unable to go in quarantine for two weeks, shoot their episodes, and then come back and quarantine again, I guess. Uh, because some of them have, I mean, some of them have demanding Hollywood jobs, like Kenan Thompson, obviously, Joshua Jackson, and getting hella work. Uh, others um, have demanding non, uh, non-Hollywood non jobs, like um, Mike Vitar, who played uh, Luis Mendoza, is a firefighter. So, like, you can't just take a month and a half off of that. Yeah. Um, but I was I was happy that we got the people that we did, um, especially uh, I mean, um, Justin Wong, who plays Kenny Wu, is a Vancouverite. So there you go. And you get one Henson brother, you're getting the other. They, they're a package deal. They're a package deal. <laughs> so, also, uh, I uh, love those two. Guy, I forget Henson brother's name. He looks good. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you look good. <laughs> they they're all adorable. Yeah. Um, that was that was my favorite episode. It was so sweet. Um, and I, I also just love that all of them, aside from, like, I guess you could argue Connie being a state senator, senator although the office will remind you that a state senator is not a big deal, but um, <laughs> that everyone has pretty realistic lives. You know, like Fulton is a construction worker and um, Adam Banks is a public defender, meaning he could have made decent money. And so, and instead he has two pairs of socks. Yeah, um, I, uh, yeah. I, I really, that was like when we see Fulton for the first time and he's like working on a construction site, I was like, this is great because, you know, we don't have these, like these kids who are obviously very skilled at hockey, like as kids, like they haven't, like, I think it's really good that they haven't become professional hockey players. I have- Especially Banks. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's, there's probably like, there's room to infer that his history with injury took him out of the game or he just chose not to like whatever. Mm. Um, I have some, you know, I have some head cannons about the ones we haven't seen, but. Um. <laughs> well, so I read a bit of trivia and it said that there was a few things cut of them explaining what happened to some of the other ducks. And for the most part, it, um, it went along with what some of them are actually doing. So like Aaron Lore, who um, did go on to have a really amazing, very varied career. You know, he was kind of a, a Disney roster of voice actors and singers, uh, did some musical theater, married Adina Menzel, like <laughs> go you. But he now has like 7 million master's degrees and um, is a therapist and works uh, uh, works as a director with an addiction treatment center. And what they did was they didn't have Dean Portman doing that. They had Dean Portman owns a meditation ranch, ranch in Arizona, which I think also is kind of played for last because Portman was like, had the biggest temper. I think that's um, hilarious though. I think that fits the, yeah. the tone of the show, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and then they had Julie Gaffney uh, is um, is a chef, which uh, Colm Jacobson is indeed a chef living her best life. Gosh, she's so beautiful. Um, and they also cut what Kenny Wu was doing, which is apparently that uh, and keeping in mind, canonically, Kenny Wu is from San Francisco, uh, that he got involved in the tech startup world and uh, then uh, made a lot of money off his startup and now just plays in a cover band. Which I think is just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that that's that's great. I I firmly believe that Julie Gaffney has at least one Olympic medal. Like I think, yes. I think she does. Like she's retired. She's a chef now, of course. But like, I think well because there's no money in women's hockey. There's no money in money in women's hockey. But I think I think she probably played on the side for a while, and she has at least one Olympic medal. Um, that's that's my like really one he- headcanon, and that I do think that Charlie 
is probably still in hockey somewhere. I would imagine that Charlie, at the very least, if he never went pro, because um, like, let's face it, realistically, they're never likely to go pro, could go somewhere into like player development in in some you're reading my mind or just the education yeah the education aspect um yeah this actually kind of goes well with one of the things that bothers it it's a part about d3 that could have been really good but because it was so underdeveloped it, it bothers me more is that in d3 you see the ducks starting to come into their own as people and not just as hockey players and even fulton says like i don't know if i want to play hockey anymore like i want to get an education or i want to do something and you see like russ starting to really engage with black liberation politics and then it comes to nothing but i do feel like that was at least a good way to kind of plant the seeds of like as much as these guys are at this fancy prep school for hockey, they are learning about life beyond hockey. And like there there are things I really, really love about D3, but like as a movie, it just doesn't work as well. It has it it really has the vibe of like a good decom. Like like it's not it's not like it shouldn't have been a theatrical release it's like it ha- it has a the vibe of like a good straight to television movie. Like so like you're, you're gonna watch it. Like it's like High School Musical two. High School Musical two is actually better than D three, but um, and I have a lot of opinions about that. But like it, like it, it definitely has the vibe of like it should have been on the Disney Channel, <laughs> um, and not like straight to theaters. And it just doesn't, it doesn't feel, you know, it feels like that with like mm-hmm. a much higher budget, like it, like a sort yeah. of like Brink kind of, you know, vibe. Yeah. So- so um this is uh this is a great segue because I have a whole fucking like uh Charlie Day Pepe Silvio red string on the wall uh conspiracy or not even conspiracy just kind of a rant about the logistics of Bombay's minor career. Let's um talk. so like I said they uh <laughs> they changed Bombay's age um but in the movies he is in his late 20s as a lawyer and goes to the minors at 29. They say it on the speaker at the beginning of D2 during the game he is 29. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, as the canon and not and because yeah in the series alex even says you went pro at 34 that's even crazier and so i just i literally refuse to believe it bombay was 29 um they it's it is a fake team uh it was a fake team known as the minnesota waves but we don't find we don't even say for obvious like you know not owning the rights reasons what league he ends up in they just call it the minors I assume he's in the AHL, possibly the IHL, which was uh, existed back then, because back then the AHL did not feed into the NHL. Um, but who the fuck would take this guy? Emilio Estevez is shorter than me. He is under 5'5". Like, I know these days hockey teams are all size queens, and in the 90s they were less picky, but sorry, you could not have a guy under 5'5", because, like, you can tell me Nathan Gerby, Nathan Gerby, but, like... Nathan Gerby was drafted when he was 18 and he he is the actual shortest skating NHL player second shortest because there was one goalie shorter than than him but god help me I checked this he was drafted 142nd overall so no one cares about a player who is 5-5 yet here's Bombay who was the same age as John Tavares when we all started saying oh maybe he's not as fast as he was a couple years ago (laughs) and he's playing in the AHL or IHL or whatever at 5-4 and generating all this buzz. Oh, he's one step away from the NHL. Yeah, he's one step away from being Zdeno Chara's afternoon snack. <laughs> he's like... Chara hungry. <laughs> I mean, that is my absolute favorite image from the playoffs last year is Zdeno Chara and Nathan Gerby standing next to each other because it is... Oh my God. Beautiful. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> but... 
I mean, like, Emilio Estevez is so short, right? And, like, I love tiny players. Like, I love them. They're my favorites. I would have a whole team of short kings. But um, but um, tiny players in the NHL are, like, 5'8". <laughs> yes. Um, you know. Do we have any tiny guys this year? Kerf uh, is the shortest guy, and he's 5'10". Okay, so I've not I've done the work here. Guy. Yeah, I, I think uh, Robertson's 5'9", but he'll probably grow a little bit more. Um, yeah, guys grow until they're like 20. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't grown since I was 12, but you know. <laughs> yeah, funny how funny how defab puberty is uh, is just a uh, one's one's a track meet and one's a marathon. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Bombi's career in general, um, like I know you said it's it's a bit uh, hard to believe. I I actually kind of have backtracked on that because I don't know if. Um, f- Failing up the way Gordon Bombay does is that uncommon? Yeah, you actually you're, when you're a white man. Your notes actually convinced me um, that this is very possible. <laughs> um, in in that, like, um, you know, uh, I mean, I think the one thing that bothers me about what they say about his career in um, in Game Changers is that he says that he played pro for one shift, but it's definitely implied that he played pro for longer than that. Um, I don't yeah. know, you, you know. Uh, I think he I think it might the dialogue might have been to imply that it was one shift that did him that did him in in the minors because um, he talks about like his his time on the road and stuff. But um, but yeah, like with one of the things that like um, I buy him getting signed on for the junior Goodwill games because, yes, he was just a peewee coach. But like, first of all, in Minnesota. Um, (laughs) But secondly, I think as much as like, you know, on um, friend podcast friend of the show real good pros um they always talk about like the narrative the narrative and how important narrative is for organizations like the junior goodwill games which didn't actually exist but the real goodwill games did exist you're looking for a story you're looking to get people to tune into youth sports because the u.s has notoriously not really cared that much about youth sports um especially uh hockey like at least with canada because it's hockey people will tune in and support it but um i think it it is they never call it a gimmick in the movie but i'd simply i would believe that that could happen in the real world simply because of the gimmick i mean and sheldon keith like his playing career in the nhl was not particularly long and most of his noteworthy years weren't even in the ahl they were the ohl um he'd never coached or been an assistant coach in the nhl before the leafs but he'd won a calder so it's like hey these guys are underdogs let's give them an underdog coach and it works so i mean um, I, yeah. I, I I argue with that a little bit because like Sheldon did like like start out coaching I think like whatever's below the OHL. OHL and then moved up to the OHL and then coached in the Sioux or and then moved to the Sioux and then you know Kyle brought him to the Marlies like he so he did like there was a trajectory that you know made sense to me there but like I do think the point you've made about sort of failing up uh, is uh, <laughs> is actually very. Uh, salient like i i do think for something like the junior goodwill games that's like that has like a big corporate sponsor that a guy like the hendrix guy is like you know what this is a good story this will get people watching i do i do get that and i think that actually it does sort of feed into the plot of d2 and sort of like um gordon kind of being getting swept up and getting swept up in the whole thing because he's the center of attention because they care about his story and um and him as a coach um 
What I do think is weird, like they kind of gloss over this in the series. They don't mention this at all in the TV series, but that the whole reason he's basically not in the third movie is because he goes on to work for the Junior Goodwill Games. He's working in their their scouting, I believe. And I assume that didn't last eventually because he eventually found his way back to the Ducks. Like the implication is in Game Changers that he coached the Ducks for several years. But like he's super broke by the series. And I'm kind of like, at a certain point, could you not have gone back to being a lawyer? Like I know you have to deal <laughs> with licensing renewals and stuff and, and you have to continue practicing, but like, that's not particularly complicated. Maybe like, he was like I don't know. disbarred or something. Well, I'm very like... much like I'm very much Paris Hilton. Stop being poor right now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think yeah that there it, it is implied that you know after the Junior Goodwill Games he comes back to Minnesota and coaches whatever whoever is on the the District Five the Ducks team that becomes mm. the team in Game Changers and then leaves that team to go coach in college in the NCAA. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the sort of implication is that he, you know, when he loses his job in college or is asked to step down, um, yeah, he just kind of is sort of mentally broken. <laughs> and Oh, he's, he's a broken man in this <laughs> <Yeah>. series. <laughs> and I guess Jan or Hans, which, which one was still alive at the end of, the, of D3? Uh, Jan? Hans was in D1 and D3. Jan is D2. Yeah. But Hans dies in D3, right? Yes. Yeah. And then uh, Jan is dead by Game Changers. By Game Changers, yeah. He, leave, he leaves yes. like the, the rink that we did not know existed. Yes. <laughs> Which I assume like Jan... These brothers have bank. They, they, I wouldn't know their story. That's <laughs> the prequel, the Hans and Jan prequel. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which can we talk about the Junior Goodwill Games though? Because yes, like, I mean yes, this has let's been talk said, about it. This has been said to death, but I just love that. And I'm sorry, like I'm not. I like the Olympics, but also like I'm not super into sports nationalism uh, because it's still just nationalism. However, you're going to tell me that Canada is not a force to be reckoned with in, in this tournament at all. You just get one freeze frame <laughs> about oh they beat Canada. It, like the, the, fact, the fact that their biggest rival is Iceland and not like Sweden or Finland or Russia. Yeah. <laughs> the only well, I know that Steve Brill uh, deliberately they deliberately had to avoid Russia because in the early nineties it was just seen as still way too political to yeah. have Russia be the the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I believe they I don't know if this is said or if this is just something everyone kind of agreed on, but you can't have Canada be the threatening bad guy. Like it just doesn't work. Which is funny because I don't I, I think Canada's reputation as nice people is just bullshit for many reasons. But like aside from that, like we all know it's a kids movie and no, the Canadian the Canadian team just can't seem evil. Like that's not how Disney movies work. Um I, I I guess maybe they thought the same for Sweden. I did check because I, I just kind of went through and freeze framed last night while I was still trying desperately to figure out which of these fucking players are defensemen. But um, that <laughs> S- Sweden plays in the tournament. That's and and Germany. Germany. I I would have thought Germany would have made a good rival team, but I guess. Even in the 90s, maybe the implications of having Germany being the bad guy is I also bad. I think you could have made Finland the bad guy. I think Finland yeah. could have been the bad guy. They can seem mysterious, you know? Yeah. Um, but Iceland, sure. But, why not? <laughs> yeah. So I I went through and uh, the old, besides, a few, there are a few 
kids in the first movie, some of the ones who don't come back, like Peter Mark, Dave Karp, they are defensemen. The only other defensemen who carry through uh, the rest of the movies are the Bash brothers. Yeah, like um, Fulton and Portman are like a deep pair, right? Yeah. Yes, they are a deep pair. Um, In one of the wikis, Russ is listed as a defenseman. However... In the move in the third movie, he expresses uh, being pissed that he was he's put on the third line. Yeah, and I know like some people refer to their D pairings as lines, like a third line defense. Um, you'd be much more like to say third pairing. And considering that team was not large enough to have three D pairings, um, I think that's just a weird inconsistent thing. So yeah, I mean it it. This matters so little, but I, I like I like that we have done a lot of the same work um, because yes. I literally stopped on a freeze frame in the third movie last night when I was rewatching it. That like mm-hmm. is the shot of the uh, the like lineup and like confirms yeah. that Charlie is a center. I assume second mm-hmm. line center because I have to assume that Adam is also Charlie, a center. Yeah. Um, Charlie takes face off. Averman takes face offs. Yeah, and then. Guy is a right wing and Mendoza is a left wing. Um, okay. <laughs> but that is like the only and confirmed things. And I assume the Bash brothers are are a D pair. And then I think Russ is probably a wing. And I would assume that Adam, and they, I think they say that Adam is a center at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they say he's like fourth line center, or third line center on varsity in, yes. in third movie. Yes. And, and I mean, like, um, I know one one person said, "Oh, but Fulton takes the place of the shootout." Uh, you can you can have defensemen play in the shootout. You can't have them pause right before they shoot it. He no, broke you that have rule, to keep but, moving. <laughs> but um, but yes, you and uh, I think it was right before Babs got fired. But do you remember last season? Um, there was a game that ended in a yeah. an eleven round shootout for the Leafs because we had two defensemen play in some cases before forwards like. Janssen, Janssen was the one who finally won that one. And there, I know Riley played, and I think Muzzin uh, also shot in the shootout. No, it was Tyson Berry. So, like, defensemen participate in shootouts all the time. Some of them have very good shots. I would love to see Rasmus Sandin in a shootout situation. Oh, yeah. No, I think I yeah. think that's the thing is, like, positions are kind of fake now. Like, they don't mean that yes. much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I have a grand plan to get us through the expansion by making Morgan Riley a forward. <laughs> He's a, he goes zoom zoom. <laughs> he like, goes zoom zoom. Um, we have too many defensemen that I want to protect, and it's very sad. <laughs> I know, I know. Right now, and and I can say that this is on topic because he's from Minnesota. Everyone's trade scenarios involve sending Justin Hall to Seattle, and I know it's him or your baby Travis Dermott. Uh, but I'm just like, I want to find a way to not do it. And know, and in the end, I know that as a player, Dermott is more valuable to protect. But Justin Hall's narrative is just so precious. It's so great, but he is also like older than both Travis and. Morgan and like that's the thing is like people forget how old Justin Hall is I think because he because his, his narrative because is he so great seems so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and his narrative is that of a young player yeah like that's um you know we have to face it there's but the thing is we can we can't Travis. actually we can't actually protect Travis either most likely unless we do it through like uh you know underhanded yeah. means because yes it just it doesn't <laughs> unless we do four and four it doesn't oh I'm actually I'm actually right now more worried about curve 
to be honest. Oh, yeah, because I um, think Kerf really, like, stepped up in these playoffs. Yeah. You know, skills guy, undeniable skill guys like Matthews and Marner and Hyman facing off against just a really tough to play against third line. Like, that's that's what did it. Anyway, we're just full on in Leafs town Anyway, right you uh, know, for, for more good so, Leafs takes, listen to Real Good Pros. <laughs> yes, they are real good. Um, so I think um, between... Between the film series and the show, I don't think we can ignore that, unfortunately, um, some of the young actors, uh, things didn't go so great. And that is fairly typical of, unfortunately, a lot of uh, experiences for child actors, which, you know, furthers my belief that child actors need to really, really be protected. Um, and, and I don't mean that some of them didn't stay in show business because I don't think leaving show business is considered a failure. I think it's actually extremely healthy to not stay in show business as a child. Like, much like Adam Banks did not pursue hockey, his actor Vincent LaRusso did not pursue acting, and he um, turned out uh, to be, you know, successful in his own right and extremely cute. So, um, but yeah, the most obvious one being Jesse Smollett, and I really don't think we have to rehash any of that. I don't feel like rehashing any of that. It was a very depressing and weird story. Um, the young actor who played Bombay, and I don't even know his name, but I just wrote down because this is what I know about him, is a reclusive Bitcoin weirdo. But I don't really count him because he he wasn't one of the ducks. He was he was little he was, Bombay. You know, yeah. Um, one of the ones that never gets mentioned, though, is Mike Vitar, who played uh, Mendoza. So he was charged in 2015, along with several of his firefighter colleagues, for beating up a young Asian man who was trick-or-treating. They, they claimed he was uh, handing out drugs or something, but that proved to be not true. So he pleaded no contest to assault, but he hasn't been heard from much since then. So that's a really dark and awful thing. But um, uh, the most tragic to me, though, is Sean Weiss, who played Goldberg. He had, um, he had several arrests and had to seek treatment for methamphetamine addiction. Um, he looked really bad. I, I always encourage people, don't look up pictures of people on meth because it's just depressing and also i think sometimes people like use it as a bit of a sideshow um that said as of this past year uh, as of 2021 he is more than one year sober he has new teeth he looks amazing he really like actually looks like his old self um and more recently just like last night when i was making notes i looked him up on instagram and he was able to get together with some of the old cast recently uh which is great because he hadn't been well enough to take part in the reunion episode and for as conservative as Disney is about that kind of stuff, like they had said, like when he is well enough, he is welcome back uh, to come to the show, which I think is really good. Um, so yeah. I think I, I you it, know, wish him it, all the best in his recovery. Yeah, it, it was this was reading your notes um, was really nice for me because I knew about his addiction issues and and that but I did not know that he had gone into recovery and it made me really happy to learn that he was like over a year sober and that was like uh that was really great and I hope we get to see him on the That's a big deal. on the game changers yeah. at some point yeah I think I, it's a huge deal and it's so hard and like congrats to him and all yeah, the best um, <laughs> all the best absolutely and um I think um uh, one other um one other kind of negative thing about that that makes me feel really bad and um they were talking about this on also the great podcast, We Hate Movies. They are my favorite podcast. And if if by any chance you guys are listening to this, We Hate Movies, we plan to do a Mighty Ducks episode uh, like months ago. I know you guys just recently did a Mighty Ducks episode. I am trying so hard to not ape any of the things you said. But they did mention, and I saw this, that there was a GoFundMe campaign to support uh, Sean Weiss's living in a sober living facility. And as they were saying, like, you did three Mighty Ducks movies in Disney, peak Disney in the 90s. 
normally, especially for those kids who, you know, whose parents uh, very smartly like invested their money, that should, I don't want to say set you for life, but you shouldn't have a lot to worry about. And so it makes you think it either Disney really screwed over these kids on residuals or, um, you know, a case of bad Hollywood parents who got a hold of got a hold of that coin because it really sucks to have been in three extremely successful family movies uh, and a really successful franchise that um, you know led to literal commercial success in the NHL and you are still having to go fund me your rehab treatment I mean rehab treatment should be paid for by the state anyway but I mean that's uh who's gonna listen to me on that <laughs> yeah I mean I will but I have no power to make that happen unfortunately. yes um, uh, in the United States or Canada um, um I I want to before we sort of move on from uh this section I don't know if there was more stuff I do want to talk about Charlie's mom <laughs> yes I do I do want to talk about no character gets a raw deal than uh, <laughs> Casey Conway oh poor Casey Conway like she She's... is just like working she's supporting her kid like I feel so bad for her <laughs> like and they obviously they couldn't get her for the second movie and Jan just has the line about oh ever since his mom mother remarried but then in the third movie she's single again and back to waiting tables and i'm just like this this lady has had it rough and all i can think is stay away from her bombay do not go back to her leave her alone <laughs> get a job um but like and, and also i do think when i was watching the first movie recently it's like he moves in on her way too fast like when they're out looking at the ice sculptures and he's like I want to live there too. Like, <laughs> and or when he tells Charlie uh, that he wants to quit coaching, he's like, I might not be coming over for dinner anymore. Like, you know what, Bombay, if you want to weasel out of coaching, that's fine. But like, you can still fuck his mom, even if you're not the coach. And in fact, it's probably better to fuck his mom if you're not his coach. Yeah, I mean, yeah, seriously. It, it's, you know, it's an un, it's an unhealthy relationship between mom and coach and child, <laughs> um, if anything. And Charlie's such a dick to his mom in the third. Oh, my God. It makes me, like, Charlie in the third movie makes me so angry, Brie. <laughs> yes. That's why he didn't come back for the series, because he didn't want to fucking show his face. <laughs> he should uh. be embarrassed. <laughs> um, yeah. So poor Casey Conway, the unsung hero of the series. Um, but yes, I was hoping, I was really excited to move on to, now I had an initially witch leaf, but however, I think we should do, do a general witch hockey because I noticed some of your picks of non-leafs were really good. <laughs> witch hockey, Mighty Ducks edition. Um, so I have my notes separate because I don't want to spoil it, but who is our Charlie Conway? So my my personal pick for Charlie Conway is, Perhaps slightly unconventional, because I think Charlie Conway is a Kyle Dubas type. I had originally said maybe he's like a Hyman, more like the heart of the team, you know, not the high skill guy, but, you know, but like watching D2 and he's like, mm -hmm. there's an empty roster spot. I got to do something <laughs> creative to fill this. Wait, I can get us some skill. <laughs> and I was like, Kyle Dubas. <laughs> which is why I kind of think that Charlie's like GMing an OHL team somewhere probably now. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I think that's a really good, I, I honestly just said like, uh, because I consider him pretty skilled, not the most skilled heart of the team. And again, I only pick Leafs, but I would say he's a, he's the JT. He's the, he's the Tavares of the team, but I think the Dubas is much more, um, much more accurate. I'll, I will also say, however, and cause also I think, Dubas did play hockey until he was about the age that Charlie was in the third movie, so it checks out. But um, 
on that note, I can see John Tavares going into management when he's uh, when he's ready to retire. Um, now, Adam Banks, I did so initially. I I have two again, both Leafs. He's a beloved player from another team who gets acquired and is almost immediately injured. Nick Foligno. However, mm-hmm. um, I will also say, you know, he's a he's a player that goes over goes over to a new team. His ex his ex team considers him a traitor. Uh, you know, the uh, he becomes beloved on his new team. He is one of the most skilled players, and the team becomes traumatized when they watch him get stretchered off in an important game. So he's JT. That's our Tavares. <laughs> that's that's our Tavares. I actually think, like, play-wise and personality-wise, JT fits him. But, I mean, I because I did this before we had more... Uh, before I'd seen your notes. Um, so I had him as mm-hmm. a, a Connor McDavid type, obviously, which also I think yes. he did get injured like his first season too. <laughs> um, like oh, he Connor, had, McNavid's d- he, Connor McDavid's knee is made of glass. Yeah. So his, his knee, Adam Banks's wrist, you know, uh, made yes. a, made of glass. Um, you know, I, he, he's the franchise player on the ducks. Like, you know, they need him to win basically, <laughs> um, as proven by, uh, the the Oilers this year. I'm not salty. It's fine. So, <laughs> but you know, so, yeah. I do think his relationship with his father is very Marner esque. You know, yes. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I and he has chronic wrist problems. So, but he doesn't have enough personality to be an Austin Matthews. So, uh, I have no. I have other feelings about Austin Matthews. <laughs> and and Vincent Larusso, as we review, as we find out in his late 30s, still has a decent hairline. So. Um, good point good uh, point yes (laughs) now i will say this guy germain an underrated player who gets all the chicks very cute we forget he's there pierre engval you know what that's that's a pretty good call out um (laughs) i i said guy was an alex kerfoot a solid player can bounce between lines real cute Mm -hmm. probably would have a good playoff beard you know plays as a center or a winger yeah we don't know yeah. Um, I actually had Averman as Kerfoot because he's an insufferable genius and a real pest. <laughs> I, I love Kerfoot, but something about him, I'm just like, oh, you're a stinker. Yeah. I, I love um, that. I love that about him. That's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Like, he seems annoying. Like, I would get annoyed yes. with him, but I like it. Which, okay, I have read several different wikis and the jury's still out on, is Averman supposed to be canonically Jewish? I don't think he is. Just because someone is white with curly hair doesn't mean they're Jewish, right? I mean, his name's Averman, which was the thing that leads me to... So I don't think he's canonically Jewish. Goldberg is canonically Jewish. Oh, Um, yeah. uh, But... Goldberg. Yeah, I I, I think he's supposed to be nebishy, which sort of leads people to be... Jewishy. As as a yeah. Jew, I can say this. <laughs> That's it. I'm like, I, I his the actor who plays him. His name is Matt Doherty. I'm like, I he's I, Irish. I'm not always. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not always great at recognizing Jewish names, but I'm like, there's no way in hell Doherty is a Jewish name. I mean, like, to, I, he's one of he's one of my people. To be <laughs> to be fair, I I am uh, a Jew, um, but yes. also my mom's entire family is Scotch Irish. So like. It's possible okay. to be both. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But I, I but don't, he, I think, I think it's much more of a, actually, you know, people would probably find his character problematic now, um, but he, yes. like, he is clearly supposed to be like kind of nebishy. Um, That's but, why I was kind of going to say, like, is it almost borders on offensive if he's supposed to be Jewish, the way they wrote his character is, uh, it, it's, 
it's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yes. Okay. Um, so um, now Fulton, an offensive defenseman who wears number forty-four. <laughs> I don't know who could that possibly be. <laughs> who could that possibly be? I except I mean his personality doesn't really fit Morgan Riley because Morgan Riley's a soft boy, but like. On the inside, Fulton is actually one of the softest, sweetest um, ducks, I think. And that's also why I really love his character. Like, his character is one of the best developed throughout the trilogy. Um, and he's he's this guy who looks tough on the outside, but really, like, he he's only aggressive in hockey. He's really thoughtful and stuff. And so I like that he's the secret soft boy. Yeah, I... I... Fulton was one of the ones I like didn't really come up with someone for, but I would mm-hmm. uh, I would definitely agree that uh, an offens- offensive defenseman who wears number forty four, my boy Morgan Riley, my favorite boy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think that's a good call. It's a good shout. Now, Dean Portman, uh, as much as this is not a defenseman that I compared him to, he's tough, but you you're like, okay, what do you do? And he's not a guy who looks good on paper. Uh, Wayne Simmons. <laughs> And and oh, much no. like Wayne Simmons, he's extremely cute. But um Yeah, like he's yeah. he's just there for the vibes, dude. He's there for the vibes, like Wayne, like the Wayne train. And to be and fair like to Wayne, Wayne was gone. Wayne was great before he hurt himself. <laughs> he was. And uh it's it, he's not coming back. I, I actually think, so. think it's more likely that Jumbo will come back. Please even no, please Jumbo. please no, Bree. Can we not? I, I don't that? want it, I however, want I think it. it's I think it's semi likely only because Jumbo's cheap. Only so, I um, only want him back if he will fucking sit some games. <laughs> I only want him back if he's off the fucking power play. <laughs> and not on and the I'm, first line. Like Jumbo, yeah. Jumbo Brooks Betza, fourth line, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yes. Although I am kind the of my the my two dads line. The my two dads line. I I really want next year's fourth line to be Nick Robertson, Adam Brooks, Jason Spezza. I think that would be very fun. I think just Jason Spezza. So my two sons. Yeah, my two sons, yes. (laughs) Um, Um, I don't want Jumbo back, but that is neither here nor there. Good vibes. He has great vibes. But yes, uh, yeah, I would say um, Dean Portman, only there for the vibes. You know, I would have had him as like a Zach Bogosian type because he's got, like, Bogo's got great vibes. And he had like, he didn't look great when we signed him. But Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take him back. <laughs> yes. Um, I, no, only I not got... at the expense of any of my other defensive children. Because <laughs> they're um, all my children. Now, there's there's one one current Leaf and one former Leaf that I think you could easily compare Luis Mendoza, which is a speedster and plays die on their stick. No and finish. So... Kasperi Kapanen yeah. got no finish. <laughs> <laughs> but also Ilya Mikheyev, who also for what it's worth, no I really do think that that New Jersey hospital like put his wrist on backwards or something <laughs> when they repaired him. <laughs> Poor Mikheyev. Um, God only knows what'll happen to you. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I think when but it's it's funny because like like I said, D two was one of my big introductions to hockey, and so when I grew up like watching players like because like. Cappy and Mikheyev, like, they're not the only players who are the way they are, but they are in my head forever known as Luis Mendoza types. Yeah. And they are, you know, it's, um, you know, I think to be fair to Cappy, Cappy's had a, uh, for the time he hasn't been hurt, he had a great year on the pens and I'm really happy for him. And I like him better now that he's not on our team. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he like 
he he finished breakaway several times and i was like who is this man (laughs) um but yeah no i think they are they they very fast but cannot put the puck in the net (laughs) Um, yes is a very 2020 2021 Ilya Mikheyev move um I had Mendoza as a Matt Barzell just because he is uh very fast extremely cute and extremely cute like um I couldn't figure out anyone for my goalies because it's like well Goldberg doesn't have doesn't play the puck enough to be Jack here's Um, here's here's my thing about Goldberg right okay Orion is so smart to take Mm -hmm. Goldberg out of goal (laughs) um because he does do that right yeah um i just rewatched that because goldberg has the least goalie vibes ever like goldberg does not have goalie vibes all goalies have vibes that are goalies and you don't know how to explain them but you look at them and you're like yes goalie (laughs) but goldberg does not have those vibes joy the cat however does Mm -hmm. have goalie vibes and i think julie is a thatcher demko or thatcher demko is a julie gaffney type in that Excellent at their job, a little bit weird. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I also just feel like Thatcher Demko would like makeup songs in the crease if the puck was at the other end for the whole time. Like that just feels like very uh, what he would do. The the Canucks are yes. like one of my my other favorite teams to watch. So like I I, I feel oh, yeah. endeared to Thatcher in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know just just excellent, very competent. Shows up in the big moments when when you need him or her. Yeah. Um, and just a little weird, just a little weird, like all goalies are. <laughs> oh, you know what? That who, that is who I think actually my my pick for which hockey is Charlie. Um, you know, very very skilled, probably you know second best on his team, heart of the team, good personality. It's your boy Brock Besser. My boy, my little Pomeranian yeah, of a boy, your little man. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, sweet, like heart of the team, sweet really Brock just Besser. solid. Isn't, isn't Besser a Minnesota guy? Besser is a, a greater Minneapolis uh, area boy, yes. There you go. <laughs> um, and then I could not think of a single person for Dwayne Robertson uh, because um, Dwayne Robertson really doesn't have a personality beyond being cowboy and being kind of dumb. However, I'm just going to have fun and say Tyler Sege, um, <laughs> you know, only, only steers and queers in Texas and I'm not a cow. Only spirits and queers. Oh, God. Thank you, Tyler, again for that gift. Uh, I guess the obvious thing for Kenny Wu would be uh, would be to say Jeff Skinner. Um, that is? Because he's a... Yeah. Because he's a former figure skater. That is yeah. the obvious thing to say. I think, though, you know, and I like Jeff Skinner. I like his play, I think. And he's a, he's a great skater. Um, and I, like, I came to hockey from watching figure skating for a lot of years. So, like, I really, I tend to appreciate skating skills a lot which is why for Kenny Wu I picked my my child my son Travis Dermott Travis Dermott yes is a, an amazing skater he's great on the puck his he he his zone exits I love them I will be so mad if he's not on our team next year and then remember last year when he started fighting yes and know? then the, those oh my god Bree, those those pictures those videos of him of Bogo uh-huh. teaching him to fight this year I was like yeah. Kenny Wu Kenny Wu <laughs> well and what what I find funny is that I always forget that Travis Dermott is from the GTA because he has such Vancouver vibes and we have two Vancouver boys on our team neither is Travis Dermott yeah um 
when I'm sorry, but Alex Kerfoot has the least Vancouver vibes I've ever seen. I don't I don't um, think Morgan really has that Vancouver vibes either, to be honest. No, he has Victoria vibes. Victoria, they call it the city of which I've actually never been to Vancouver, but I've been to Victoria. And they call it Vic Vancouver is not on Vancouver Island, but Victoria is on, on Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Island. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Victoria, they call it the city of the newlywed and the nearly dead because it's where either like your eligible young couples or your like retirees go. There, um, and there is a city. That's, yeah. There's, a, there's <laughs> that's, a city in the U.S. that is also that, but I can't think like Miami, maybe. I uh, don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that to me is what Morgan the vibes that Morgan Riley gives off and yeah. uh I I don't know I mean uh Alex Griffith doesn't give me off city vibes he gives off jerks off to Jordan Peterson vibes um but um no I think I I think Travis Dermott has extremely Vancouver energy and um it's perfect because Justin Wong who plays Kenny Wu um is a Vancouverite um, and also, uh, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a podcast with figure skating fan Kelsey if we didn't acknowledge that Toronto's pride and joy, Patrick P. Chitty Chan, uh, was the skating double for Adult Kenny Wu in Game Changers. They did a really good job with that face swapping. Like, because yeah. I watch, I'm like, wait, is Justin Wong a figure skater? Like, no way. <laughs> yeah, he he like they did they did a they did a really good job. And I found out that it was, um, uh, I found out that it was going to be Chitty before, before I watched the episode oh, okay. because I, um, because I follow him on <laughs> social media. <laughs> because, and, of course. <laughs> and, but I, but I feel like when I watched it, I would have been like, <laughs> he's, he's yeah. so good. And I'm so glad, like, it was, it was very cute that he got to be involved and like, he, you know, and he, uh, uh. He was like a little fanboy, basically, about the Mighty Ducks. And I was like, that's very fun. So I'm glad he did that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I did learn when I was doing some research last night that I that um that the the kids in the the series at least had skating doubles, I think. Um yeah. which I don't know. I don't know if they did in the show. Like I think they did some of their own skating, but they also had like doubles for the games. Which like I it yeah. really like for the most part, it's fairly seamless, which I think is impressive. Um, because yeah. we can't all actors be Dylan Playfair, who's just making a career out of playing a hockey guy. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I had good for no him. idea his dad was a coach. I had no idea. This is how little anyone knows about the Calgary Flames, I guess. <laughs> um, but I'm like, yeah, good for him. Make your career out of you know. You have a skill set that you know. A, a hockey, and you have the mullet. And you have the mullet. Like, make that your career. Clearly, you're doing okay. Yeah. Um, but and then. Yeah, I I just was really, really happy to see uh, Patrick Chan show up yeah. there because I love I love when my two great loves you know meet together yeah. and and you know do a good thing. <laughs> I have a whole thread on a uh, on Twitter where you can see my <laughs> my love for skating skills and hockey. <laughs> oh shit! We also I I actually completely forgot about Russ Tyler. I don't have anyone picked for Russ Tyler. Okay, so here's the thing. I think. I, I waffled between um, Hall, Jesse Hall, and Russ Tyler for Austin Matthews because hmm. I think you know Austin Austin's signature shot, a shot baby, yeah, a shot. He he he's also got more personality than the team that he's coming into is really ready for. Like, oh, yeah. you know, so I think I think he he has some some Russ Tyler vibes, but I also just feel like he would call somebody a cake eater. And like really mean it, like Jesse Hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, I, 
Yeah, like Austin Matthews is kind of a dick, but I think he's like the right kind of a dick. Yeah, and I feel and, that way about Jesse too. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I kind of hated that um, they, for whatever reason, I'm guessing just Brandon Quentin Adams wasn't available for the third film, that he wasn't in it. Um, and I do think that, yeah, you have um, you have Russ kind of filling your role of guy who speaks his mind. Um, I actually do like that they developed Russ into a bit more of a sensitive uh guy who like he he is actually one of the bigger rule followers in it like yeah i don't i don't care that we don't like coach orion like i'm i i just want to play um but yeah you the team was kind of missing that shit heel and then charlie became the shit heel i'm like okay the shit heel is fine as a supporting character he doesn't need to be the lead yeah and i also really like that you didn't see that archetype you didn't see the archetype of like the distressful kid in game changers like we were we were done with meeting that. Like, I like that Game Changers, the kids are really their own people. Um, I I love that the star player on the team is a South Asian girl. Like, I really yeah. do love that. I love that there's a big plot about, you know, the pretty popular girl and the weirdo nerd girl becoming best friends. I also especially love that throughout the entire thing that the character of Lauren her development is not that she becomes less nerdy. She is still a nerdy, a fantasy nerd, cape-wearing weirdo by the end. And and Maya is her best friend. Like, I think that's so sweet and such a good thing for kids to see. I I really, really loved that that sort of penultimate episode where they're um, you know Doing their girls' nights. Doing yeah. their girls' night. And like we got to see these characters like not sort of change for each other but still be friends like the the development of the 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 female lady girl characters um in this show made me so happy as yeah. like i just want to pour one out for tammy duncan who doesn't make it past d1 and no. who i think could have like you know like there there aren't a lot of, of girls in um in these the the movies of the 90s there's connie and there's julie and there's Linda. <laughs> I love Linda. I like Linda too, but she's basically a plot device and it kind of makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. I like, do, as a I character, do like I think she's that, great. Yeah. But I at least like that her goal wasn't undermined and that um, you know, as much as Charlie was kind of a dick about it at first, that like she was correct in the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I I think there are a lot worse sort of like female teenage love interest characters that could have could have been written um but he just like charlie's whole plot line in d3 just does not sit well with me in general Um, but you know it is nice that uh she she is right about that at the end and and i and i you know in some ways connect with her because i also went to a a private school Mm -hmm. with a lot of rich dicks um (laughs) and was possibly a a rich dick uh i don't know because i definitely wasn't as socially aware as linda was Um, so you know i just i i I really enjoyed the development of the the girls in this and and also uh the women in in alex and stephanie stephanie yes um I think it's clear that Stephanie is going to play a bigger role in the second season. Um, I also thought it was interesting because it, this seemed to kind of be a thing, but that it, there wasn't really any payoff in the last episode, but that um, one of Stephanie's kids, her her daughter, appeared to be kind of speaking out a little bit more against Coach T and questioning him and expressing, like, 
um, you know, the desire to not play dirty and stuff, but her, you don't see that in her son. And I don't know if it's just because her son's a less developed character or anything, but I think it would be such a cool plot device for, um, for the next season. If that's a thing, if one of the twins stays with the ducks and one of the, or in one of the twins, the former ducks one of the twins stays with purple and the other goes to ducks um, <laughs> team purple um, yeah i um and then actually my favorite character besides logan because we all love logan my favorite character turned out to be coob um i thought coob was so sweet and i thought at first they were just going with fat kid jokes for him and even when you see that Koob is a really good singer, I was kind of like, okay, this is really lovely. And Luke Islam has such a beautiful voice. He's such a talented young man. But I was also like, is this going to be a thing where I like, oh, the fat kid has a beautiful voice and it's funny because he's a fat kid. But like, I like that it was tied into like, oh, he's learning to actually bond and have fun with his friends. And then he's the one who leads the team in the dirty socks uh, superstition. And um, yeah, like it's not, it's not just fat kid jokes. He learns to become a good goalie. And then you get to see him sing again because he sings the anthem. And just Koob, we're living for it. <laughs> <laughs> living for it. Um, yeah, no, I I love all the kids in different ways. Like even the, mm-hmm. the brothers who have like no lines. <laughs> um, I, you know, Logan is my favorite because he's just weird and a, a baby William, basically. Um, <laughs> um But I think one thing I really appreciated was this sort of um, the general, like, lack of idealized body shape for athletes. Um, As someone who grew up playing youth sports and and high school sports and stuff and have never really been uh, shaped the way that people imagine athletes to be shaped, um, it's really nice to see that as not, like, a plot point, basically. Um, Mm -hmm uh so i hope that continues another thing i think you know we're we're kind of getting off track um from our segment but um another thing i wanted to sort of point out about um game changers is that i had some like really visceral reactions to the the sort of um white moms in youth sports uh dynamic that there is yep. there <laughs> as my my mom uh, was a, a single mom like my parents are divorced and um I played sports for most of my life and there were like binders of things you had to do and places you had to be and duties and like as a mom you had to do all of those and it's like my mom was one a single parent and two one of the only moms who worked in in mm-hmm. like on the teams that I played on um and so that was just like I was like wow it really never changes huh like <laughs> you yeah. know uh, it was uh- that I think was the biggest difference between the film trilogy and the um, and the series was that as much as like the film trilogy does kind of do a little bit about like you know like you said sports gerrymandering and stuff for the most part I would say the um, the series is so much more current it is so incredibly current and topical uh, now you could say that might come back to bite it in the ass uh, 10 years down the line it might seem like a time capsule I-, I have no problem with things being time capsules because uh if there's one year that i definitely want to remember out of my life it's 2020 2021 uh <laughs> no seriously and i love that they didn't incorporate covid um like a lot of other shows i like um i don't want to be reminded of this time but um yeah i think i think the sports mom thing like i so I didn't play team sports, but I danced and I have been teaching dance since I was 17. And it's exactly the same fucking shit. And um, I really 
I, I like you, think it was a great, um, great way to kind of, it, I mean, that was your window in. It starts out talking about the parent culture. And then also it was nice how in the, the Moms Challenge episode, you have the moms of the Don't Bothers who are just happy to be here and like happy their kids have something to do, which is frankly how most, I mean, be supportive and stuff and be involved and whatever, but like you should just be happy that your kid has something to do that makes them happy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we have careened toward the natural conclusion. Um, and so this this is also an interesting one because we often do, um, you know, series or film series. And this is hard to determine the peak because we have a film trilogy and a connected universe to uh, a 10 episode TV show. And so for me, I think there are multiple peaks to this. And I still, even though I have my second thoughts about D2, because like we said, like in D2, the ducks are not underdogs. And that goes against kind of the MO of the series. However, I think the hockey in D2 is really good. I think it's really funny. I think the kids are really, really likable. So I think D2 is the peak of the film series. And then I think, you know, it's a big lull in D3 to the point where I would say, if you want to watch the whole series, that's fine. You can absolutely skip D3. Um, I think Game Changers is incredibly strong. And of the entire series, I would say um, the peak of it for me is episode six, The Spirit of the Ducks, when the gang comes back. So two peaks. But overall, an extremely strong series that played a very important part in my childhood. Yeah, I think I, I so I thought a lot about the peak of the film series um, and considered a lot of things. And, and my, my gut option is the peak is D2. And I sort of reconsidered that for a little while and, you know, was like, maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, D1 is the, is, you know, where it's best. But I think D2 is tonally exactly like exactly what it's going for um it like d2 is where it knows what it is the most it's where it is like it is the sort of like perfect like type of thing right mm -hmm. um it's funny it's the it's a it's still a sports movie it's got dumbass cameos um <laughs> you know and it's but it's like a you know slightly <laughs> slightly um shinier veneer of of like fun and family movie than the first one which i think yeah. what stops the first one from being the peak for me is that you can tell in parts that it was supposed to be a darker movie and yes. i think that sort of uh pushes it sort of down down into the valley a little further um also but frankly i think bombay is at times like when he first starts with the kids like irredeemably mean yeah yeah and yeah. in and in like in in D2, the, the story for him is great. The story for the kids is good. You know, I think I think it's also when the, the kids are at their most charming uh, age-wise. Yes. Um, and, you know, you're not, like, so annoyed with them uh, because they're, like, little and annoying like you can be in the yes. first one. Or so annoyed with them because they're, like, teenagers and annoying <laughs> in the third one. And you one. don't have Peter Mark anymore. I'm sorry, but yeah. that kid sucks. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I mean, I would have liked uh, to have seen Carp again and, and the Duncans, but, you yes. know. Which Carp turned, I, I mean, half the cast was in heavyweights, yeah. like Goldberg, Carp, and Russ Tyler were all in heavyweights, yeah. but the guy who played Carp turned into a really gorgeous beefcake. Nice. 
Yeah. Love that for him. Like, again, it's like a Pierre-Luc Dubois, like, oh, right, I like men. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so I think, so, I think for yeah. me, yeah, D2 is the definite peak of the film series. I personally think that the um, the TV series hasn't peaked yet. Um, that's very fair. I think I think we could possibly see a peak next season, but I don't think we're going to see a real peak until they can film without restrictions. And I personally am looking forward to getting Charlie Conway back in this universe because I think that is that like that is like I love the Spirit of the Ducks episode, and I do agree of the first season. I think that is probably where it, where it peaked, but I think that. For me, it was just lacking Joshua Jackson, <laughs> and there was just a yes. glaring hole for me. <laughs> I was like the one, the one person that I was like, "Oh, but I don't think you can do this without him." And I, I think it'd be Which, great if they could get Keenan Thompson back. I don't know if that that will happen, but oh, he's that's very busy. a that's a big get. Yeah, um, that would be. Yeah. I think I think they can get Joshua Jackson. He's Canadian. He's you know, and he's from Vancouver, and he's from like, Vancouver. Like you know, I think they can do that. I think Keenan would be a, a a very big get, but maybe like I don't know. On, on a Skype call. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Kelsey, before we let you go, plug your stuff. Tell us where we can uh, follow you, support you, listen to your thoughts. Okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kelsey Rebecca. Those are spelled the what I think are the standard ways, but K E L S E Y R E B E C C A. Um, generally, uh, applying to Bree's tweets. Um, I have two podcasts, uh, both of which are currently on hiatus, but I think we'll have new episodes by the time this episode comes out. Um, one is called Ruin My Life. We have about 90 episodes of, of back, uh, back catalog. Bree's been on one. It was wonderful. It's about The Simpsons. You should definitely go listen to it. Um, that's just about that's just me and my friend Jason uh, talking about friend of the show Jason friend of the show Jason Edwards talking about uh, pop culture and other stuff um, and sort of a sort of a media critique podcast we'll say um, and then my other newer podcast is called Musical Theater Deathmatch um, where me and my friend Andrew um, pit two musicals against each other and decide which one is better um so that has uh, i think four episodes currently so if you're looking for a short a short catch-up that's the one to go and then we'll, we'll be releasing new episodes once a month uh, starting in july i believe so um, super exciting brie will probably be on one of those there's also a forthcoming uh third podcast that i don't know if it will be out yet but me and jason are we have a, a project forthcoming <laughs> that's not ruined my life so those are all the places you can find me Mostly screaming about hockey on Twitter, occasionally uh, retweeting labor movement shit, you know. Yes. <laughs> well, as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism, but with a B-R-E-E. Our theme music is by Jack Dump. You can find them and support them on bandcamp.com slash jackdump. They got tons and tons of amazing free music. They just make that shit for fun and they are amazing. Uh, you can also follow them on twitter.com slash jackdump where they have some amazing and very dark comics. Our show logo is designed by a little man named Jared Daly. He's my husband. Uh, new episodes are due out every two weeks and you do not, do not want to miss them. You can check out our back catalogs which contains things like Malcolm in the Middle, King of the Hill, So You Think You Can Dance, The Office, Saw, and a whole month's worth of men talking about the Simpsons. It's great. Uh, coming up, we have got episodes coming out on screen, Parks and Recreation, Seinfeld, and more. So take it easy. Thank you so much. Keep peeking.
There's Julie the Cat Gaffney. She won the state championship for Maine three years in a row. Well, we have a goalie, Goldberg. All right, bring him on, man. I'm ready for this. Come on, show me what you got. I'm the man. I'm the man. Oh, oh help. What's this? Well, we could use a backup. <laughs> 